that the book of Genesis is not written to satisfy curiosities about how we began. The real intent of the book is to help us see where we are, who we are, and why we're here. And what we saw last week was that the reason there's this longing in all of us, just a longing that this world can't quite fulfill or satisfy, is because we were actually created for a different world, and that's a world we will always long for. The question is, where do you go when you long for what you can't have? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So last week was more about where we are. Where are you? And this week is more about who are you? Now, as I mentioned last time, I was like, I'm a little nervous. I'm not sure how deep I'm going to get into this because we could talk about gender and all sorts of different things. And I just decided this week, you know what? I shouldn't be nervous because I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to share my opinions. All I'm going to do is let's just look at what Genesis has to say about who we are. And then we'll compare that with some of the questions and ideas that are floating around our world today. It's not about me. It's just let's objectively look at everything that's before us. And just as we get started, let's talk about identity a little bit and what we mean by that. Identity is simply your search for who you are. And this search kind of begins in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, where you begin to recognize that you are not your family. You are not your mom. You are not your dad. That happens when you get into your 20s and 30s, where you become your parents. <laughs> but in middle school, you begin to ask, well, wait, if, if I'm not them, well, who am I? And there's a few different ways to answer the question. The first way we answer our identity question is through self-perception. We look in the mirror and we say, well, here's what I see. Here's, here's what I perceive about myself. And so whatever I think about myself, that must be who I am. The only problem is that word perception. Sometimes what we perceive to be true or perceive to be there isn't actually true and isn't actually there. So if you want, you can determine who you are based on your self-perception, but that's always going to be a bit of a question mark. A second way we can figure out our identity is through the public expectation, where basically we get a bunch of people's perception about us, they tell us who we are, and we kind of go with it. But again, you kind of run into the same problem where just because somebody perceives something about you, the way you look, the way you act, or your personality, that doesn't necessarily reflect who you are. And then there's a third way to figure out who you are, and that is through divine declaration. That there is an almighty God who created you, and he determines who you are. Now, here's my big disclaimer for this message, because we may touch on gender and other identity issues. My disclaimer is this, that if you are not a Christian, if, if you don't believe Jesus died and rose again, if, if you don't follow Jesus, you can do whatever you want. I'm not pushing my beliefs. I'm not pushing biblical teachings onto you. You are free to find your identity through self-perception or through public expectation. You can do that. I can't change that. I'm not saying you should. But the thing that I'm doing in this message is I'm addressing a, an audience that I'm assuming is Christian. You believe Jesus died for your sin on a cross, and it was brutal, but he loved you so much he did that. And you believe he rose again, and you believe that God loves you because of him. And because of his love for you, you follow Jesus. You want to reflect his love in your life. And as such, 
You say, God, I want you to tell me who I am. You declare to me my purpose, my identity. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, I know this is a confusing topic because when it comes to identity, there's just even recently in the news, like, how do you define gender? And if it's a self-perception, you can't define what a gender is. Even if it's a public expectation, you can't really define it is, but just us as a culture, we're kind of in that first category right now where you get to pick what you are and who you are based on whatever you see in the mirror or whatever you see on your body, whatever you feel on the inside, like you get to pick. No one can make that choice for you. And again, if, if that's you, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you, that's fine. You can do that. But what I want to show you today is actually the great freedom and peace a person has when God confines them and says, this is what you are, this is who you are, and this is why you're here. There's actually freedom and peace when, when, when God declares, this is who you are. So here's where we left off last week. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind. And I said, We ain't got time for this. We have to push this back to part two. And so here we are in part two. We're going to dive into this whole concept of who you are. And the first thing to note, just before we even dig into it, is that day six of creation, when God created mankind, here, here, this is incredible, God could have told Moses to write any number of things about how we were created. Like God could have said, Moses, just tell them how the eye works, all the, all the you know, different sensors and things in there. That's probably the wrong word. All the receptacles and things that, you know, just would you, would you shed some light on just how the human eye works and how awesome it was when I created that? Or just tell them about all the muscles and tendons and nerve endings and how I perfectly and wonderfully designed the human body. Genesis could have been a 50-chapter book just on anatomy and how amazing we are. But here's the thing. Genesis doesn't focus a lot on anatomy. It rather puts the spotlight on your identity. To find who you are, it's not a matter of I'm blood and bone and muscle and, you know, some of us a little bit more fat than others, but, you know, we're kind of a combination of all those things. God says, no, that's not who you are. Your body is part of who you are. But you really need to know who you are. So here's kind of where we're going to go today. God created human beings and he defined what being human means. He created us body and soul, but he also defines what that means and who we are and what our purpose is. So as Genesis gets going, I mean, if, if you are asking God, could you please write the origin story of where we came from? Like, could you explain the human brain? Do we really only use 10% of it? Like, how, 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 what is going on in just the brain part of us? And that could have been so impressive. But instead, God says, I'll tell you a little bit about the anatomy. You know, Adam and Eve, rib, and all that stuff. That'll be next week. But here's the thing. What's more important than your anatomy is your identity. How do you find who you are? And here's how God begins to answer that question. So God said, this is so incredible. Let us make mankind, speaking of himself in third person, some, some read into that, rightfully so. This is a reflection of God's trinity, that though he is one God, there are three individual, distinct persons separate from each other, and yet there is one God. So God himself is distinct and unique while at the same one. God said, let us create 
mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, this is going to blow you away, but that word for image, in our image, uh, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, one of the ways that word is used is uh, it's a word that basically refers to an idol. People would make images, put together an image, uh, take a piece of wood and whittle out an image of a God and say, here's my God. That was an image. And of course, that was wrong. That was bad. But what is God saying about mankind? He says, when I created mankind, how did I create them? In my image, in my likeness. So think of it this way. The angels are up in heaven and they're watching creation. I don't know what day they were created on, but they were part of, you know, maybe let's just say day six. They're just watching this all unfold. And they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Day six agenda. There's this thing called mankind. You're going to make mankind. What is mankind? And the angels could have said, we just saw how you made those monkeys. Are are they kind of like that, where they're kind of goofy and silly? And and if God were having this little meeting with the angels on day six of creation, he would say, no, 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 no. Go ahead and look at everything I created. But when it comes to mankind, the only thing you can compare mankind to that makes any sense is mankind will be like me. I create them in my image. In my likeness. And that means a lot of different things, but as you look through scripture, it means one thing very specifically. Mankind was created perfect, good, flawless, without sin, and full of the capacity to love one another. And as we'll see soon, male and female, distinct, separate, yet just like the triune God, male and female together as one, perfectly loving one another. They were created in God's image, perfect, holy, and blameless. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So if you're looking for, like, how do you find God in this world? And, you know, some of you go into nature, you go hiking in the mountains, that's great. But according to Genesis, the clearest reflection of God in this world is the person sitting next to you unless they're your brother or sister, then it doesn't apply. But the clearest reflection of what, what, what is God like? Originally, look to someone else, and that would be an image bearer of God. You know, you could turn to the person next to you and say, you are an image bearer of God. And that's how we were created in this world. So what does it mean to be human? Holy moly. To be human means you're basically an idol of God. You're in the image or likeness of God. The only thing that you can compare yourself to is God himself, and that's how God intended it to be. It goes on. This is in Genesis chapter 9, where God is talking to, to, um, what's his name? Noah. We'll get there later in the series. Uh, He's talking to Noah after the flood, and he says, here's the ground rules. Here's how things work. Whoever sheds human blood, just remember this, by humans shall their blood be shed. There will be vengeance, because in the image of God has God made mankind. So even though by Noah's time, the image of God had largely been lost, like they were no longer perfect and holy and loving each other as they should have, even though the image was lost, still Still, God attached divine value to human worth. So what is a human? What does it mean to be human? We were created in the image of God, and that should make us say, wow, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
But we also have to take this away, that number one, God ascribes divine worth to human value. What makes people valuable is not what they contribute. It's not what we want from them. It's not their net worth or their athletic ability. What makes a person worthy is the image of God in which they were created. Even today, even though we've lost part of that image, most of that image because of our sinful nature, even though we're now separated from God, he still says to Noah, you must respect human life because in the image of God, mankind was created. I know a lot of people wrestle with the question, am I worthy? Um, All it takes is a little comment from someone else. Oh, am I okay? Am I still important? Am I still valuable? And if you could remember what it really means to be human, it's not about what you do or how you contribute. What makes you valuable is that you were created in the image of God. And God ascribes divine worth to human value. Wow, it is amazing to be human. Let's go on because we're going to fine-tune what God is is telling us. Um, So God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, here's here's why we're doing this, so that they may rule over, and I'm not going to read it all, all the animals, the fish, the birds, the animals, the things that slither along the ground, all that fun stuff. So the reason we were created in God's image was so that we might exercise dominion over this good earth. Days one through five of creation and the first half of day six were all about getting the playground ready getting the world ready. And now God unleashed mankind and said, now take care of it, love it, use it, exercise it. And that was one reason why God created Adam and Eve. Both, yeah, to love him, but also to exercise their power, their control over this creation. So here's something, you know, sometimes in our lives, one of the phrases I try not to use anymore is, And when someone is going through a hard time or they're not sure what to do, you know, the common idea is to tell them, yeah, maybe God is using you for something. It's like, oh, great. God is just using me like a tool and then he'll throw me away when the next person comes along. No, God doesn't just use you for something. The way we were were created was that God had this divine plan, this universe-sized plan. Then he says, now I'm going to take my plan and put people in the middle of it something so much bigger than they could ever do by themselves. I'm going to make this God-sized plan, and I'm going to use human purpose to make it happen. And that's what we see to this day, that number two, God incorporates human purpose into divine plans. Human purpose into divine plans. The way the New Testament puts this is that God has prepared in advance the good works for you to do. Some of you might be in a dark place or a broken place and you're thinking, I'm not doing anything right now. Well, the good news is God knows where you're at and he is preparing in advance in your future good things for you to do. He has a God-sized plan. He's just getting you ready to step into that purpose. And this is what we have to remember about ourselves. Like, what is my role? What is my purpose? My purpose is not to achieve my plans. I pray that any plans I formulate would just be a part of God's bigger plan. My purpose, my place, is to play a part in his plans. So keep that in mind. What does it mean to be human? It does not mean to be your own man, to to make your own way. It means to play a part in a bigger story that was here before you were born. Wow, what an amazing thing to be 
human, that we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Now, here comes the fun part. Verse 27 kind of is a recap, but then it adds one interesting phrase. Verse 27 says, so, recap. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. We kind of got that. Male and female, he created them. Now, when it comes to ancient manuscripts, they did not just throw ink around carelessly. Each phrase, each word was important. And so you might ask, why was it so worth it to add this phrase to Genesis 1 verse 27, um, where it adds male and female? Like, isn't this kind of obvious for people who read it, like male and female? Well, here's the thing. Throughout creation, we saw this last week, God was very careful each day to separate things. Case in point, um, light and darkness, day and night. Like he separated the two and, and guess what? Those two don't mix together very well. There's a clear separation except for sunrise and sunset of where darkness belongs and where sunlight belongs. Like it's two different things. We see this with animals and plants. Each was created according to its kind. You do this, you do that, you do that. And there was beauty in that separation because that's where the purpose comes through. But it's different with us. You see, in our broken version of the world we see around us, there can be, there can be conflict between male and female. There's differences. We think differently. We see the world differently. Um, there, there's a lot of differences. But even today, we can see the beauty of how two things that are separate were created in a way that they actually come together to make one. There was beauty in the way that God designed male and female. And we're going to get more into this next week. I don't want to step onto the next uh, speaker as, as we get into um, part three. We're going to talk about relationships and how God designed all that to work. So what I do want to focus on today is how you view yourself. Who are you? And who gets to decide? Are you male? Are you female? And how do we determine? And this might be a basic question to answer. And I'm not going to get into the details if you've got preschoolers in the room. But when it comes to male and female, what I want to acknowledge is that the, the brokenness of our world in some cases, has caused confusion. There is actually a medical condition known as gender dysphoria, where people, by no choice of their own, feel like the body they're in is, is not them. And there's this inner anguish. And what I want to acknowledge is that I don't, I've never experienced what it's like to be a parent who has a kid who wakes up and, and says, I feel horrible. I feel awful. I have this, I don't feel like I'm in the right body. I would rather die than be in this body. I've never experienced that as a parent. And I can't imagine what it must be like to be a parent dealing with that and that kind of brokenness and dysphoria. I'm not judging anyone. But what I am saying is that when God created this world, it was male and female. And it was beautiful and it was perfect. And though there was separation between the two, it actually brought them together as one. But we should not let our brokenness be justification for a self-perceived definition of who we are. Even in our brokenness, we should look up to God and say, it is not I who determine who I am, but it is you. 
And it is a declaration from God for those who are followers of Jesus. It is God's declaration of male and female. It is his definition that you live by. And for some, that might be a cross to bear. It might be something to work through. I know it's not easy for some, a small minority of the population. But that's the difference between male and female. And what I want to focus on is that in the beginning, and even today, we can see the beauty in the difference. Number three, God designed gender differences for our good. And it is okay to celebrate the differences. As you follow Jesus, and as you look to him, ultimately, the identity of who you are, that is part of it. But what I also want to be careful about is this. I think too much of our personal identity comes from our gender. You are not your gender, just like you are not your career. You are not defined by your kids. Your identity is not about your marriage. Your identity is not about your net worth. I I think we can tend to take one or more of these things and say, this is who I am. This is who I am. Your, Your gender is not your identity. It's just a part of God's purpose for you. So as we go forward, there's going to be a couple more things we, we, brought, we bring out of here. Um, Genesis actually goes on, and we, don't have, we, don't, we ain't got time for this, but um, it goes on to say, like, Adam and Eve, or mankind, like, here's your food, and animals, here's your food, and again, God just arranges everything perfectly. And then by the end of day six, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. The animals, the light and dark, the sun, moon, and stars, the plants, everything, male and female. He said, this is very good. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Everything was done. And do you know how we know it was really done? Because of what happened on day seven. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So, (laughs) on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Like, he didn't need physical rest, like creation didn't overexert him, but rather he was proving a point. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. He set it apart, not for him. He set it apart for us because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Resting. This would not be the first time that God would rest from work he had done. But this would be the last time in a while that God would get a break. He rested on day seven because everything was good. He, uh, later in Genesis, it talks about God walking through the garden. So I just picture God on day seven, kind of, you know, strolling around his universe, looking at things. Oh, I like what I did there. That's good. Plants looking great. You know, just kind of sipping on his coffee like an office manager with nothing to do. This is good. Everything is really good. And he rested from his labors to prove that everything was good, but also to set an example for us. And this would be a reminder for all generations. It is important to rest. And here's the thing. When you know who you are in Christ, in God, when you have this divine declaration about who you are, you can rest. Because it's not about you. It's about what he declares about you, and it's about his big plan for you. It's about his purpose with the differences he's created in you. You can rest. 
And if you're having trouble resting, that's a cue that maybe your view of your identity is starting to drift a little bit. But wasn't, isn't it cool? In the beginning, being a human was this amazing thing. And I'm sure Adam and Eve were like, holy moly, we are, we're not like anything else. We are like God. Interesting that the first temptation would challenge that. The devil would come and say, you will be like God if you do this. Well, they were already like God. How amazing, how amazing to be human. So my only question is, how did we get to where we're at today? Because last time I checked, when it comes to people, as, as we make mistakes, as we fail, as we do things, we don't like proudly say, yes, I am human. But what do we often say? Hey, don't blame me. I'm just a human. So here's the thing. Being human at some point turned into I'm just a human. Don't, don't per- expect too much from me. I'm, I'm just a human. I'm not perfect. Nobody is. I'm just a human. So who are you? Are you being human or are you just a human? We often throw around just a human as, as a, an excuse that, you know, no one's perfect. We, we can't get everything right. But unfortunately, what we do in the process is we lower the definition of what being human was originally intended to be. No longer are we the image of God, but we say humanity is about being different from God. And being human is no longer being in line with the plans of God, but now it's like, oh, I'll find my own way and figure out who I am. And while the original differences between us actually created unity, now we say, oh, I'm just a human, I'm different, and there's going to be conflict. If you're not like me, then you're not for me. Just a human. So who are you? Are you just a human? Well, unfortunately, in, in our broken world that we're in, and the broken identities that we now inhabit, we can't figure out the answer to that question. Who are we now? Who are we now? The answer to that question only comes to God's response to it. And here's the beautiful thing. As as Adam and Eve stepped into broken identities in the Garden of Eden, he gave the first promise of how he would unravel this brokenness that they just experienced. Yeah, now you're just a human. (laughs) You're going to suffer. It's going to be horrible. And one day you'll die. You're just a human. but, But someday... Someday I'll, I'll restore you to where you were, to being human as I designed. And the way this worked was that one day God, get this, here's the story of the Bible in case you're new. The story of the Bible is that God who created everything became just a human. He set aside his divine power, his divine wisdom. He said, I'm going to put this on the shelf so I can become just a human like everyone else. Though being just a human, I will be the fullest extent of humanity that it was supposed to be. And Jesus, as he walked on this earth, guess what? He was being human. He had a plan that was so much greater than him, but his purpose was to fit into that plan of redemption for this world. And as Jesus looked at the world around him, not once did he 
talk to people and say, sorry, I'm just a human, can't do anything. But he said, no, as one of you, I will restore what humanity once was. And so he died for the sins of the world. He died for the sins of me and you. And though being in nature, God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he took on the nature of being just a human, a person just like you and me, so that in him, we can find what it really means to be human again. So number four, Jesus became just a human to make humans just, to make us right, to make us innocent, holy, pleasing again before God. He came not to lower the definition of what it means to be human, but to restore us to its fullest potential once again. So would you, would you celebrate this week what it means to be who you are? You are not just a human. You are being human a human being created by God with an identity declared by God himself. And as we close, just as we celebrate that identity and live out that story, I want to share with you three quick things, three things to know if you are beginning to drift away from this God-declared identity about who you are, three things to watch out for. The first thing is if you feel anxiety coming up, this may be a sign that your identity is off focus because anxiety comes because you think about all the things you do. If your identity is about everything you do, you will be, spend your life chasing the things that aren't yet done. So when you're racing, when you're racing, when you're racing and filled with anxiety, maybe you need to pause and say, who I am is not about what I do. Who I am is about what Jesus did. So anxiety can be the first sign that maybe you're starting to drift from that identity of what God declared for you about really being human. The second thing is fear, because sometimes when it comes to our identity, we attach our identity to what we have or who we have. This is a big thing. Um, husbands can attach their identity to their wife or their kids. Um, you can attach your identity to, to things, to belongings. And when you do that, you will constantly be afraid of losing them. But the reminder is that your identity is not about what you have. Your identity is secured by God himself, and no one can take that away. A uh, third thing is um, the, the cousins, pride, or on the other side, despair. Both of them look inwardly. They just come to different conclusions. But when you find yourself in pride, you're better than everyone else. When you find yourself in despair, I'm worse than everyone else. What's that a sign of? It's, it's a sign that your identity is based on the expectations or the view of the community around you. And that's not the case. Your identity is declared to you by God himself. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are worth because of the value God attaches to you. And if there's one passage that I could just send you off with as an encouragement, it would be this one. Colossians 3.3. This is a, doesn't seem like an encouragement at first. but You died. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. If he was writing to you, he'd say the same thing. Dear you, you died. When Jesus was on the cross, it's as if you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your identity of who you are, your being is tied to him. 
And that's something that can never change or be taken away. So who are you? As you look through the book of Genesis, it's so cool how God doesn't look at your anatomy and say, here's who you are, but rather he gives to you an identity and he alone determines and declares what it means to really be human. We'll pick it up there next week as we dive into the whole realm of relationships and interactions and how God created us for community with one another. But until then, let's close today with a prayer. Dearest Father in heaven, the way you created us is so amazing. And you could have spent a lot of ink in Genesis just talking about the way our bodies work, but rather you focused on something more important. You established for us our identity. The way that you created us is to be in a personal, close relationship with you, where we look up, we, we look We look vertically for for our identity and we look vertically for everything that we need. But now in our fallen state, we tend to look horizontally and even within, but only heaven can answer that question of who we are. So would you give us wisdom and insight this week as we look into the, the idols that can determine our identity, that the things that we often look to instead of you? And would you show us the peace the purpose and the hope of having an identity determined by you. Um, Help us to see a different way of talking about things rather than just saying, well, we're just a human. Would you elevate that definition back to where it belongs? That being human is to be like you. And that is what you have restored to us through Christ. Give us hope this week as we remember our identity is securely tied away in heaven where nothing can change it. And that's what we praise you for. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.